to Fancy Town Crimes Podcast, a podcast about crimes in fancy towns told by middle-class broads. All right, well, hello there, everybody. Hey, guys. This is Megan. And this is Taylor. And it's Fancy Town Crimes. Yahoo! Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to our, our place of joy, laughter, sarcasm hour two of us catching up because yeah it's can't it's seem to figure out how to just dive right in no we have no idea how to do that like i mean yeah it's so much there like you know all of the beginning part that we were doing before where we talked about lots of things in the podcast well now we are doing that before the podcast and it's taking hours <laughs> So you're welcome that you don't have to sit through it. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, we had a really cool last week. We launched our Patreon. We Mm -hmm. launched our merch. Oh my gosh. We've, so Megan and I have been working to launch this for like months. Okay. When you say working to launch this for months, I'm going to, it's honesty. It's honesty time. Um, (laughs) Taylor has had all of her stuff recorded for the launch for a month and, a half. and Megan every week went shit I didn't record shit I didn't record oh shit I didn't record again so finally I got my shit together on Friday and we launched listen it's three to five business months to get things done I get it I totally understand we're in a pandemic what can we do but we were so excited to finally bring it to you. So with the merch, uh, we just like put together stuff that we thought was fun. Like we've said in a couple other episodes, like if you have things that you want to see on merch or types of merch you want to see, we would love to know. So like yes. let yes. us know on Instagram, let us know on email, however you want to let us know. We'd love to make merch that you want to see. Um, you can check that out. It's linked um, on our Instagram and it'll be linked in the show notes. And as far as our Patreon, I'm so excited. Megan and I have been like dying to figure out how to offer more stuff to you guys because we have like, there's so many more of you now and we're so pumped. (laughs) I know we're really excited. I mean, we just keep going up as far as at least the Instagram followers is what we can see. Yeah. And we're loving it. And we're so happy that you're here. And when you go to Patreon so we can give you more of this shit that you- We want to give you more shenanigans. So um, if you go ahead over to our Patreon, any level, we'll give you a shout out on air and we'll try and make it funny. We'll see how it goes. Um, <laughs> we'll try and make it funny after how many glasses of wine have we already had? <laughs> I know it's been a, we, like we said, it's been a long start. So there's been lots of wine. Um, <laughs> so shout out, you'll get some free merch at certain levels. So like, go check it out. And Discord and, too. If you're Discord. a Discord person, we would love to chit chat with you. Yes. hundred percent. So go check that out. Also linked in our Instagram and we'll be linked in the show notes below as well. And speaking of wine uh I'm drinking a wink wine tonight um mm. so I very fancy I um so I'm if, if you don't follow me on Instagram um I do a lot of brand partnerships and work as someone who wants to 
show you stuff and give you discount codes for things. So I recently started working with Wink and um, I have given their wine as gifts before, but I had never personally purchased it for myself until last week. This wine, girl, let me tell you, Jeff and I are drinking it tonight. It is a California Syrah and it is in impeccable. So if you want to um, head on over to my Instagram, Taylor Coleman Adams, you can get your first Wink Wine box for just $39. That's correct. Four bottles of wine for $39. Girl, yes. Check it out. So I have to say too, I mean, I've I've definitely, I haven't officially ordered from Wink yet. I always peruse and look and, you know. Head over and get your $39, your $39 box for I am with four wines. 100% going to have to. I will say this though. So I got this as a gift for Brandon's parents for Christmas. Now, yes. if you want to talk about, so Brandon's parents are wine connoisseurs, mm. basically. Um, they were wine club members in Napa Valley. Love so it. So what wine do you get these people? Exactly. And a yes. wink wine so they can pick it themselves because I couldn't pick a good wine. Yep. But wink can. Yes. So that's what I did. <laughs> so honestly, that's so smart because you're right. It's like. And people's tastes are so different. So like when you go on the website and you're like, read, I was, I handpicked, I hand selected my wines this time around because I was like, because I'm a wine snob. And I was like, I don't think they're going to know me. They don't know Taylor. And so I like handpicked my wine and I was like kind of skeptical about what I would get. And I was really like, I'm super impressed with this wine. This is the second one I've had so far. I had a white, um, I think it was a, a Chenin, Bl- Chenin Blanc, and it was... Wait, did you say Chenin Blanc? Chenin's Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so delicious. This is Syrah. Um, but yeah, highly, highly recommend. Um, we'll link all that in the show notes. But just wanted to shout it out. What are you drinking? I saw that you you got something going on, girl. Um, It's not from Wink, but it's probably on Wink. I'm sure it is. It's the Robert Mondavi Wegman mm. Special. Oh, girl, Robert Mondavi. I know. That just brings me back. I know. We accidentally stumbled upon that winery when we were <laughs> super hungover and decided to go to so Napa. Hungover. So hungover in Napa. The worst place to be hungover <laughs> because all you want to do is drink wine. Why go? Can A we story go back- for another day, but that was amazing. Can we go back to San Francisco? I miss it yes. so much. If you're in San Francisco and you want to host us. We'll oh. be there. any second just just give us give us give us a little dm we'll pop on over say hello we're really great house guests we promise we're we're clean we bring dogs and a baby but they're good dogs and a baby they are they're great and we also bring boyfriends slash husbands that are eh. (laughs) they're okay (laughs) we love you boys we love you Well, we are uh, going very far from San Francisco today. Yes. We're heading out of California. We've been in California for the last two episodes. We're going to the East Coast. Ooh, ooh, heading to the East Coast. So today we are heading, I'm so excited for this case, Megan. We are heading (laughs) to Amityville, New York. So what, y'all what, know what, what I'm going to be talking about today. Yeah. Not not a surprise. <laughs> We're not surprising anyone. No. The second you see that, you're going to go, oh. Exactly. Amityville is just like, it's so, like, the name is just 
like everybody knows that something happened there, even if you don't know the full story, um, you know, that's like a very important thing that happened in true crime, which I think is wild because normally the fancy towns are crimes that we have not really heard so of. So true. It's so, so true. So my source, mostly wiki, uh, because <laughs> my source, my singular source mostly wiki because you texted me this morning to ask where are we going yes i totally <laughs> forgot and now i remembered <laughs> so amityville is a village in the town of babylon in suffolk county new york which is in long island that is just like that's like a russian what are those russian dolls called where they like pop out oh yeah they go know? inside of each other i can't think of what that's called either but a yes, russian pop out doll yes <laughs> exactly it's just like that so uh beep bop boop there there were uh 3900 housing units um in the area so this is as of 2019 the excuse me 2019 the Nope, 2010. I just made up a number. The home ownership rate was 71%, and the median value of home uh, owner occupied housing units was $445,000. So, housing prices are like decent. Like, I would love it if housing prices were that around us. I mean, I couldn't afford that, but I mean, hey, hey someone can, right? <laughs> so, the racial makeup of the village is no surprise. 81.7% white, 9.7% black, 0.3% Native American, 1.8% Asian, 0.0% Pacific Islander. So there are the rock. No, there are no rocks here. Um, <laughs> there are no rocks. There are no rocks. 4.1% other races and 2.5% from two or more races. So there is another breakdown. Um, Hispanic or, or Latinx um, were 13% of the population. Uh, and the village population is actually relatively old, which I would say is probably not super surprising. Um, oh, like it, elderly people? Yes. So, oh, okay, so okay. exactly. So the population is relatively old with only 4% under the age of 5, 17% under the age of 18, 5% from 20 to 24, 23% from 25 to 44. And uh, so the majority, 32% are between 45 and 64 and 19% are 65 or older. I mean, thinking about it though, it makes sense because if you are younger you're the city is right there exactly like it it's not like a like a college town like that tend to skew younger like where there are a ton of like colleges right. and stuff like that or it's, like a city it's kind of like uh you're gonna have more younger people living in boston neighborhoods than something like linfield Ex exactly so the median age is uh 46 and a half years old oh them half birthdays we celebrate half half happy birthday so uh the median income for the household in the village was ninety five thousand, um and the per capita income for the village was thirty five thousand. so it's relatively you know by the standard of the u.s on the lower side um however however only 16 percent um, excuse me six percent of the population were below the poverty line so um it's a very 
interesting village, I feel like, as far as the kind of these numbers and some of the numbers that we looked at. So I also added a little fun thing in here because I thought it was kind of cool. I'm um, excited for this. I don't know this, but I got a little like, you have to listen. So I'm excited. Yeah. So I'm kind of, so I, I, you know, I don't know why. I just thought today I was like, you know, what would be fun is to talk about what is the drink of the area. And yes. I was like, let's do that. So the uh the drink is not the national drink because we're talking about a state but the state drink <laughs> of new york is a manhattan oh. which is bourbon or rye sweet vermouth uh bitters orange bitters and brand uh garnished with cherries and the doobadoo the drink of long island is the Long Island iced tea. Shocking, which, which is everything shocking. on the shelf and a splash of Coke. Exactly. I don't even have to tell you what's in it because that is the the uh, <laughs> actual thing that is Sorry in it. for the spoiler. Drank a lot of Long Islands in the day. Yes. And actually, I found a, um, a drink that was inspired by Amityville, which I thought was kind of cool. Stop. Yes, it's it's kind of neat. I can link it. It was by Thrillist. Um, I thought it was really fun. So it is black currant juice, sugar, gin, port, uh, currant syrup. Um, excuse me, syrup. I don't say syrup. Uh, <laughs> lemon, agave, and garnished, and in a little in the drink, just a little bit of cayenne pepper. Oh, got spice things up. So if you're looking for a drink to pair with today's uh today's crime. Maybe go try out this this drink inspired by Amityville. Pause right now. Go get the ingredients. We'll give you a Take second. It. Go ahead. Go do it right now. You might have to go out <laughs> for some of this because I definitely don't have all of these things <laughs> in my house. That's why I'm drinking wine. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. I really enjoyed that there's a drink after this considering there's like movies and books and everything else under the yeah. sun. I was like, you know what? Why not find a drink for this state, for this location, and for this uh, particular village? And here we are. So that is my my background in Amityville. I enjoyed that. That was that was a spicy little background. Spicy. So obviously we all know what case I'm doing, and we all no, know what are you doing? <laughs> I am doing the Amityville boat murders. Okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. My allergies are killing me. So I might yeah, be like it's rough. muting myself. There might be a lot of editing and I apologize. Um, Fair enough. So I'm obviously doing the Amityville murder of the DeFeo family. Um, I'm doing it because Ronnie DeFeo recently died. Like yep. when this comes out about two weeks ago, he died. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, something like that. I saw that on the news and I was like, what? I saw it on Instagram. <laughs> I forget where we I follow saw it. so many true crime podcasts that are <laughs> way ahead of us. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow. Would you look at that? So thank you, true crime podcasts on Instagram that are way ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of sources. I'm ready. Um, so Murderpedia. Oh, my God. Okay. This, <laughs> this wild show called Serial Killers. Oh. Okay. It's on Amazon Prime. It was made in the 90s, and it shows that it was made in the 90s. Um, if you have not seen it on Prime, 
uh, you should go see it because it's a marvelous little nostalgic like I'm telling you like one of the cops they interview he's like hanging out there it's clearly like the producers were like hang out of the cop car and talk like a cop and he did and so it's just it's cool that sounds incredible but also the other cool thing too is that um they do also interview DeFeo inter interview interview DeFeo as well interfoo interfoo DeFeo um which is honestly quite interesting so serial killers um there was a rolling stone article by joe blystein an oxygen article by eric shorey biography.com all things interesting article by marco mar oh my god this poor man marco marganatoff um amityville murders and thought catalog article by jerome london as well so um starting us off in a little suspense henry's bar in amityville long island was a was running normally with patrons enjoying drinks conversation you know what you normally do at a bar on november 13th 1974 when all of a sudden uh 23 year old ronnie defeo jr runs in at 6 30 p.m exclaiming quote you got to help me. I think my mother and father were shot. Can you imagine being in being there and hearing this and being like, what? Um, wild. I would be like, sir, it is 6.30 p.m. How much have you had to drink? <laughs> All right. Uh, Ronnie, also known as Butch, um, along with some other patrons, head to 112 Ocean Avenue, where he lived, and they found Ronald DeFeo Sr. and Louise DeFeo dead inside the home. His friend Joe Yeswit uh, was also a part of the crowd that left the bar to go and survey the scene, called the Suffolk County Police Department, and was like, uh, some shit's going down here. This is kind of wild. Like, you got to come down. So to backtrack a little, the DeFeo family settled in the house on 112 Ocean Ave., uh, in 1965, the house was built, I believe it was built in the 20s, so it wasn't like a new build or anything like that, which will kind of come into play later on. Um, the, the DeFeos had previously lived in Brooklyn. They were an upper, upper middle class and religious family. So DeFeo Sr. had worked at a car dealership that his father-in-law had owned had worked really hard worked up in the ranks was able to attain that upper middle class lifestyle moved his family to Amityville was really proud of that um years later Ronnie would also or Butch Ronnie interchangeable would also work at that uh dealership it was a a Buick dealership alongside him when police arrived on the scene they found the parents, so Ronald and Louise, along with Ronnie's four siblings, Don, who was 18, Allison, who was 13, Mac, who was 12, and John Matthew, who was 9, were all shot dead with a 35 caliber lever-action Marlin 336 c rifle, which is Can a mouthful. Can you just imagine, like, I, like, just coming upon a scene like that, like, <gasps> okay well uh, so one of the articles i read basically it was like his 
friend had called and was like, I think his parents are dead. And then the police were like, oh, there's way more than just the parents dead. But <laughs> my big thing is, and I know we see this a lot with people who murder their family. It looks so freaking suspicious that you're the only one that lived. Like, how come you're the only one, right? That was like that case that I talked about a while ago where, like, the son was the only one who, like, wasn't in the car when a bomb went off or something like that. (laughs) And it's like, I'm just so lucky. Sir, no. Nobody's that lucky. (laughs) So... Ronald Sr. and Louise had both been shot twice while each of their children was killed with a single shot. The police determined that the murders had occurred around 3 a.m. And I think officially it ended up coming out that it was like 3.15 a.m. Okay. Um, All of the victims were discovered laying face down and most were likely asleep at the time of the attack. However, there was evidence from the scene that showed that Allison and Louise were both awake at the time of their murder. Ooh. Yeah. Um yeah, that's not not fun. But Ronnie was untouched. Of course. He's like, I don't know what happened. Also note that um the murder happened at 3 a.m. and Ronnie didn't learn about it until uh. 6 p.m. But anyway. Sure, sure. Sounds sounds legit. I mean, he does have like kind of he has kind of a reason later, but kind of my ass. Okay. So, um all of the victims, oh, I said that. Blah 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 blah. So, Butch was the oldest son and the only surviving member of the family. Police brought him into the station for his own protection after he suggested that the killings were a mob hit. Ah. Uh. Very likely. (laughs) The mob! I mean, it must have been the mob! Well, truthfully, like, as I go on later, you do see there is kind of sort of a connection you can make there, but even still. Um, So, DeFeo had claimed that he was robbed by a mobster two weeks prior. He was on his way to the bank to bring his family's businesses money to the bank. And he also stated that his dad was deep in the mob. So when okay, do we know if that was true? Uh, no, there's, oh. eh, there's like some evidence that maybe uh, DeFeo Sr.'s brother was a part of a mob family, but... Got it. There's no, like, deep... It's not like he owed them money. Like, there was nothing that I said see. he owed them money. Gotcha. Okay. So, when interviewing Butch, his story quickly fell apart. <laughs> and the hitman... Surprising! Well, so he <laughs> named a specific hitman, and the person he suggested had a flippin' alibi. He was, like, out of the state. Yeah. That's... I... You First of all... the wrong person! But, you know, to his credit, have a hitman in your back pocket that you can blame a murder on. (laughs) I'll be honest. I don't think I'd ever want to blame the mob. Even if the mob did it, I'd be like, yep, you're right. It's me. I'm sorry. Yeah, my bad. 
I 100%. never want to be taken out by a mob hitman. I'm no, hundred percent. Like there have been cases that we've been like, maybe we should do this case, yes. and then be like, mm, it's about the mob. Maybe we don't do this case. <laughs> I'm not afraid of a lawsuit or anything. I'm afraid of being killed. <laughs> I'm afraid of murder, which is Over why a podcast. <laughs> okay. Um. Da, 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 da. So his story fell apart. The next day, he confessed to the killings. And he told detectives, quote, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Oh, Butch, my. Yeah. Butch admitted that after the murders, he took a bath, which wild, because I don't even take a bath on like a day where I need to relax. <laughs> He's like, listen, I need some me time. I threw a bath bomb in there. I threw I an lo- after murder bath bomb. I lit some candles. <laughs> I put on some under eye patches, some cold cream. And I was like, (laughs) girl, you need this right now. Girl, you've had a hard day. It's been rough for you. (laughs) You take care of you. (laughs) Oh, man. So he took a bath. He got rid of his bloodstained clothes. Um. Actually, the documentary that I watched, again, 90s documentary, which is gold. Go and watch it. He had dumped the clothing in, uh, I think, Brooklyn was where he had dumped it, but somewhere in okay. the city in like a manhole drain. Um, he had also dumped the rifle in a nearby body of water and then headed off to work. One does. Yeah. I, I had to go about my day. <laughs> I had things to do, people to see. I mean, busy, I'm very busy. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not giving a murderer credit. Never would. But if I was up in the middle of the night, I'd be like, oh, no, I was awake for two plus hours. I can't go into work. Definitely calling in sick. Have, have <laughs> calling in sick for this one. <laughs> so during the investigation, police determined that none of the victims struggled, meaning they were unaware of the gunshots. However... The rifle was not fitted with a silencer, Hmm. which is kind of odd. That is. Neighbors also did not hear gunshots, and the ones that were awake at the time of the murders only heard the family dog barking. That's in- the other thing that is interesting about not using a silencer is so the those that were so there were those that were murdered when they were asleep, but then there were those that were murdered when they were awake. So you would think that they would have been, like, there would have been more of them awake if there was no silencer, because they would have heard their loved ones being murdered. True, and I think that's the argument. The other thing that I can kind of think of is if you're a young child and you hear gunshots going off, that you are going to just freeze. Totally. And you might also like, I mean, I don't, of course, I don't know how loud it is in this house. Like, but sometimes when I hear, I mean, I don't know if they're gunshots or if they're fireworks. Mm, Correct. I mean, if you're Megan, you might just sleep through everything. (laughs) A hundred percent. Correct. Fire alarms, (laughs) nuclear explosions. You know me, girl, I'm snugs in my bed. Yeah. She's not waking up for anything. (laughs) Had to get waken up for the fire alarm in college that was literally above my bed. So flipping loud. And it was like there was a woman who spoke. She'd be like, there is an emergency. Please leave the building. It was so terrifying. It sounded like a, like a 
like a, a bomb threat. <laughs> so bad. I mean, honestly, like the one thing for me is so Louise, the mother, had evidence of waking up, which means he probably shot the father first. Mm-hmm. Louise woke up. There was another daughter who woke up as well. I wonder if that because I don't know what the evidence was that they were awake I wonder if it was fighting back like I don't Mm. know I wonder if it was the way their body was positioned but I can totally see younger children freezing a hundred and pretend like you know because it's like oh my god something is happening right and if I pretend I'm asleep I'm not a witness yeah yeah totally I mean it's like the same thing like I don't know, like, if there's, like, a scary thing in your room, you think, you know, like, something under your bed or in your closet, you're like, I'm going to pretend I'm asleep. They can't get me. I'm going to put the covers up over my head. I I mean, I know that feeling. There was – so I'm going a little rogue here. Going rogue. <laughs> this, this is too good. Um, Now, I'm all for the paranormal. I am a ghost believer. I, I believe in energies. I believe in all of that. I've lived in haunted houses. I will say that till the day I die. Totally. Megan and I have all had both had very interesting encounters in our lives. So correct. We believe we're believers. However, there was a man who was interviewed in the serial killers documentary. And I, I can't exactly remember what his title was, but it was basically like studies in ghosts, PhD. Got it. Maybe it was a parapsychologist. I can't hundred percent remember. He claimed <laughs> that the reason the family and nobody else could hear the gunshots was because the ghost of a Native American chief created such a strong force field around the house that nobody heard it. Yeah, no, that, no, no, no. If there is a ghost (laughs) of a Native American chief who was the energy in that house, he's like, y'all, come listen to what's happening in this house. There's something, something happening. So there is, I mean, we're not going to get into the paranormal quite yet. Obviously, there's a paranormal piece to this. There is some thought that it was on a Native American burial ground, that a chief was buried there, that he was very angry, that there was a house on top of it, which, girl, seem, I'd be kind I mean, of pissed. Right? But also, I, I mean, that was just, that explanation was wild to me. I was like, real. No, uh, nobody saw a force field. They heard the dog bark, but no one saw a force field. It, it's, I, 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 and the, I, um, so these, the, the people that were murdered, were they white? Uh, yes, the family was white. So the family was white and a Native American chief <laughs> created a force field to be like, no, I don't want anyone to hear the murdering of other white people. He was like, Girl, come and listen to what's happening at this house. There is no way that a Native American <laughs> chief was like, oh, no, I'll just protect. No, no way. I'll He's protect like, this poor little white boy. Uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Mm-mm, there's no way. Actually, rich little white boy, ironically. Yeah, exactly. There's no way. So, yeah, like, that was a story, and that was kind of a wild card. I'm all for paranormal, but I'm like, that's a little, that's a little, that's a stretch. How would the house be built in 1925 and literally nothing happens until the seventies? Like I'd be bullshit in 1926. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like that's just, that doesn't make any sense. So, okay. Back to the actual story of what happened. (laughs) The rifle was not fitted with a silencer, so the police were kind of baffled as to mm. why no one really heard the shots. 
Ronnie did tell police that he drugged his family, but the autopsy showed no evidence of any drug in the victim's systems. Like, nothing in the blood, nothing in the urine, nothing in the organs. Interesting. So, hmm. So maybe he thought he drugged them? I have like literally no idea. Like, it's why just, say it's like that? wild. Yeah, that you're, is wild. you're right. Maybe he did because I do think that this man had some men- uh he had mental health issues. So- I mean there was I mean there's something going on. He murdered his whole family, so correct. So it was no secret that Butch struggled with drugs and alcohol. And now this man was only 23 years old and it was kind of common knowledge that he struggled with drugs and alcohol. That's rough. So young still, 23. My gosh. (sighs) I know. And I say that because on the documentary, again, one of his friends was like, yeah, he would like get high in the basement. At any rate, there are plenty of people who get high on heroin and like don't kill their whole family. Just Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Let's not blame. Just saying. Exactly. Okay. So he was forced to leave his high school at 17 and he went to, are you ready for this word? I haven't heard this word in forever. A parochial school. Oh my gosh. That just blew me back to 2009. Those elite Catholics. Listen, I was a poor Catholic. So like I went to public school and CCD. Oh my God. I did go to a a parochial school and uh, it's out of business now. Look at us now, abominations, talking about the liberal agenda. <laughs> oh, no. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine wanting to help people? I know, right? Honestly, I still, like, uh, okay, we can't talk about this. We can't go We can't go down this road. We'll, nope, we'll stay here nope, forever. Nope, we can't. We've had too much wine. All right. So he left his parochial school at 17. At that point, he had gotten into heroin and LSD and petty thievery. So he's not on a good path. Yeah. His mother tried to get him to see a psychiatrist, but okay. I mean, that's great that she wrecked. Like, she was like, look at an involved mom trying to get their kid help. I'm into it. Yeah, really trying, but poor, poor he thing. He refused to engage with them. Oh, it's so sad. This is the thing that scares me, honestly, uh, because a lot of boys, when they have some sort of like severe mental like health issue it Mm -hmm. doesn't show up until their late teens early 20s which is tough because then it's like they have the um uh not autonomy there's another word for it but agency they have the agency to not partake in whatever you're trying to encourage them to do which is that makes it real like as a parent really challenging right and i I feel for men who are diagnosed in their late teens, mm. early 20s, because that is not easy. Again, again, a lot of them do not go on to murder their whole family and live 100%. very healthy lives. But a hundred percent. This is just, like, it's like a they sad say, scenario. mental health, mental health is it. Mental health might, I forget, I forget the exact phrase. It's not. Oh gosh, I'm gonna totally butcher this. I know this. Amanda says that I'm wine and crime all the she time. She does, which I, and I think it's so powerful. Is yes. mental health is not my fault, but it is my problem. Correct. And so I have to take care of my own mental health. So that's that. It, I don't. I think there's a more eloquent way to say that, but that's I mean the gist of it. 
I know problem is not the right word, but it, basically it's your res- responsibility. That's what it is. Yep. Responsibility. Responsibility. Correct. And he just didn't have that. Forensics investigators and cadaver dogs scoured the property at a home on Mallory Dozens Crescent. Dozens of officers have been working around the clock. Pleading guilty to eight counts of murder in the first degree. This makes him Canada's biggest serial killer. This isn't your average documentary. This isn't your average story. He wasn't your average serial killer. And he was evil. The most infamous serial killer in the history of Toronto. I mean, this man was brutal, relentless. And my son isn't your average survivor. I remember everything other than what happened during the 20 minutes. But from the pictures he took during those 20 minutes, I know what was probably about to happen. In 2017, Sean Cribben became friends with a stranger from an online dating site. The stranger was Canada's oldest, most notorious serial killer, Bruce MacArthur. You're going to want to check out Was I Next? The Sean Cribben Story. Did you hear there's a serial killer in the neighborhood? Um, so the other issue too, and not victim blaming here, but Butch's parents had a habit of giving him whatever he wanted to placate him, mm-hmm. including money whenever he asked and a $14,000 speedboat. Whoa. Well, you can imagine, like I can imagine from the parents' standpoint, he, he was probably very difficult. And so I can imagine Correct. if he did not get what he wanted, it was a, it was, a, it was, it was a problem. Like it was challenging. And so they were like, it's, we're better off just giving him what we, what he wants and just not having to deal with it. I mean, sh- they were trying to deal with it appropriately. Right, right. But I mean, there's only so much you can do, which is really upsetting. No, I, and again, I'm, I, I don't want to victim blame. Cause like, would yeah, that be the route course. that I would take as a parent? I would hope not. I don't know. I'm not in their shoes, but I would hope not. But also, you don't deserve to die for, like, literally trying to help your child. Absolutely not. A hundred percent. So, at 18, he got a job at his grandfather's dealership. So, the dealership his father worked at. Yep. Um, by his account, he didn't need to do much for a paycheck. Must be nice. Mm, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of whether he showed up or not, he would get paid. Wow. So there's really- once again, must yeah. be nice. <laughs> um, can I just like show up or not and like get paid? Like there are some accounts too that he would like drink all day also. Jeez Louise. Which is just, I mean, ugh, he must have been in his early 20s. No, not even. Like he must have been like late teens, early 20s at this point. And it's just Jeez. like it's legit wild to yeah. me because at that point you're having you should just be having fun and should be carefree and this man was so bogged down with yeah. all this shit you absolutely know? he's already like dealing like the things that he's like it sounds like something like you know like a middle-aged man would be dealing with rather than like you know a 19 year old kid correct but again deal with your mental health issues absolutely correct because we all have them especially yes. in a pandemic go see okay. a therapist um yeah yes and if anyone needs a recommendation i got one okay so um butch did have a strained relationship with his father now it's unclear exactly how but 
DeFeo Sr. was abusive. Hmm. I don't know if that was somewhat physical and emotional. I don't know if it was purely emotional, but from what it sounds like, he was an abusive man. Oh, no. Um, He was also quick-tempered. This caused Hmm. fights between himself and his wife fairly often. Hmm. So um, it made for an intimidating authority figure for his children. I guess he was also kind of large in stature as well. Butch, being the oldest, caught the brunt of his father's temper and expectations. So he had high expectations for his kids as well. As Butch became older and stronger, the fights between he and his father became physical, and one account called them boxing matches. Oh, boy. Also, during one argument between his mother and his father, he defended his mother by loading a gun and pointing it at his father. Oh, my. Though when he pulled the trigger, for whatever reason, shots did not fire. Oh, my gosh. So, Mm -hmm. like, whoa. Yeah. So, we're getting into, like, the real big red flags that Megan skips in most of her relationship. (laughs) (laughs) That should be trivia. Is this a red flag (laughs) in a relationship? I mean, agreed. Granted, I never had a gun pointed at me, thank God, but, you know. Yeah, thank God. That I would say that's a burning, burning red flag. It's, like, on fire. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That's so hot, it's a blue flag. <laughs> God, this is too much now. <laughs> okay. So, going back to the robbery that had happened two weeks before the murder. So, remember, he... Um, had talked about how, you know, the mobster might have been a part of the hit. Well, the reason he said the mobster might have been a part of the hit was because he claimed to be robbed by that same mobster two weeks prior on the way to um, the bank. Interesting. So he claimed to be robbed on the way to the bank. He was taking money from the dealership with another employee and bringing it to the bank. And on the way... He said they got held up at gunpoint by this particular mobster. When he told his father about this, his father called bullshit and basically said he stole it. I mean, can you blame him? At this point, I, like, can't. But the same token, I'm like, eh, I don't I mean, it could have been true, right? Like, I guess it's possible. Explore the possibility that it could be true. So this actually ended up being a pretty large event where the police were called, obviously. Obviously. Um, When the police were chatting with him, Butch became so agitated, he began banging on the hood of the cars in the lot. So he also has a quick temper. Lovely. I wonder where he got that from. (laughs) Correct. In the few days before the murder, Butch had been asked by the police to kind of, like, look at a lineup, cooperate with them, whatever, to try and figure out who exactly it was that had held him at gunpoint. And he refused. Good. So DeFeo Sr. found out about this and was pissed, and the two of them got into a screaming match where, at the end of it, Butch yelled, quote, you fat prick, I'll kill you. Oh, my. Prick is a word I haven't heard in a long time. I haven't heard that in a very, like, maybe, like, college? 
Yeah, that's yeah. weird. That's a weird word. Yes. I actually, wildly enough, okay, quick Catholic anecdote here since we're talking. Love it. Okay. So um, this church that we used to go to when I was, God, it must have been like late high school, early college when I would go with my parents when I would come home. The priest that was there, he was a, I do not like this man. He was a royal douche. Um, And I got so pissed because at one point he was basically standing there on his pulpit and like denying science. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm like getting a science major. There's no, I'm sorry. The bullshit of like, you can't be a scientist and Catholic pisses me the fuck off. because It doesn't make sense. So I got so pissed that I went to the bathroom for like uh, the rest of it. Like Kyle does. (laughs) I I could for you. And then at the end of it, I legit called him a prick. <laughs> Remember my mom being like, I mean, not my choice of words, but like, yeah, no, he's not very well educated or informed. <laughs> it's like, God love Mary Ellen. <laughs> That's incredible. You want to know what I got in trouble for saying? Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. So I was at CCD. So in case you're not Catholic and you don't know what CCD is, it's like basically like religion after school program. Do we know what it stands for, though? Literally no clue. Is it Catholic, Christian? Christian, Catholic. What's the D? Doctrine. Indoctrination. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. So bad. But so this, the woman who taught it, she had humongous boobies. And... I like we were leaving CCD, me and Anne back in the day. And I said something to my mom about, or I said something to Anne, and my mom was driving us. And we, and I was like, whatever this woman's name was, I was like, yeah, her, look at them apples. <laughs> and my mom got so mad And now look at those apples you have. Look at them apples. That's punishment from God, Taylor. (laughs) God engorged me. (laughs) Anyway, I uh, thought that was, uh, your anecdote was was funny. Mine was ridiculous. So, I mean, I just love that you said apples like you thought apples were large. I know now that like, you know, that's like a saying that you say, but now that I think about it, like doesn't actually make sense. I wish I had apples. Can Look I get them. apples, please? Look at Can them watermelons. watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Butch yells that terrible thing at his father and then leaves. So I'm leaving. Even though all this shit happened. There was no clear motive of why he committed the murders. Oh, good. At one point, while being interviewed by detectives, he did ask what he had to do to collect his father's life insurance policy. Sir, no chill. (laughs) Nope. So this suggested to the police that he might have been after money. Oh, really? I would never guess. I think he just hated his dad. His mom probably woke up and he just continued. He 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 probably just lost it. Oh God! I mean that all that shit that he was saying before. It's so unfortunate. Like not that it would have lost it. Not that it would have been better if he like just killed his dad, but like, I mean, it it would have been better in that like he wouldn't have murdered his entire family. Correct. And the fact that he stood up for his mother when they were having that fight prior, and he literally held a gun to his dad before. Yeah. 
It doesn't sound like he hated his mom. No, it doesn't. It sounded like he defend he was trying to defend her. And so there yeah, so I, I would agree with your assessment of that. Yeah, I just I kinda wonder if like he killed his dad, his mom woke up and he just he went off. Or he just yeah. went off beforehand. Like yeah. who knows? But that's kind of sure. my thought process. Um so the trial began on October 14th, 1975 and lasted for six weeks. William Weber was his defense attorney and he argued insanity, claiming that DeFeo killed his family in self-defense because he heard their voices plotting against him. Which I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. that's what he told him. I really yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, for sure. Especially with the number of drugs he was on. Oh, for sure. I mean, and who knows what, you know, what he was dealing with mentally. Like, there's so, like, there were a few things that I came across that were talking about, like, voices and whatever. So, it's like, who knows? Who the heck knows? So, as I stated before, he was known to use heroin, LSD, um, speed as well. He was also diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, mm. which that is n- a pretty toxic combo. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it that the, the yeah, that combination is really tough. We need medication that's not heroin, but okay. <sighs> yeah. For sure. So, at the trial, Butch also testified he was possessed by Satan and blamed Satan for the murders. Which I don't think helped his defense. Kind of surprised his defense attorney was like, "Yeah, sir, go well, maybe with the with the insanity thing. Maybe that yeah, was actually it- smart." When is this? This was the 70s? This was 75, yeah. Okay, so Satanic Panic 80s? Eh, but it was probably starting to boil up at this point. Okay, so maybe that's why they decided to put that into the defense. Maybe it was, like, on the verge of Satanic Panic, and they were like, let's add this in. Maybe this will help. Fair. Yeah, yeah, honestly fair. He was also a court-appointed attorney as well. Oh. Which, honest, no shame to court-appointed attorneys. No, but they had a ton of money. I'm kind of confused by that. But if he didn't inherit it. Oh, good point, good point. And also, my only thing is, if you're a court-appointed attorney, you're super bogged down. You have probably so many clients. Oh, my gosh. So, your workload is out of control. Correct. Okay. So, in November 1975, he was found guilty of all counts of second-degree murder. Um, and then on December 4th, it's, I shouldn't say all counts, of six counts of second-degree murder. Cool mm. autocorrect right there. Um, on December 4th, 1975, he was sentenced to six um, terms of 25 years to life in prison. Oh, wow. Which means he was actually up for parole. What? Mm-hmm. When he died? Well, not when he died, but he had been up for parole prior to that. So when it's six, so six terms of 20 of 25. So you come up for parole at the end of every 25. I don't know exactly how it works, but tell me again how white privilege isn't a thing. Yeah, for sure. Just going to add that one right on in there. Okay. Wow. So um, after the trial, Butch's story continued to change. I mean, this man, he just, he just, he dialed it in. I have to give him credit for that. He dialed it in. So in 86, he claimed that Don killed their father and then his mother killed all of his siblings before he killed his mother. Why? Why? But also then, okay. So 
he was he said he was afraid to tell the truth because he feared that his grandfather and uncle would kill him for speaking poorly of his mother. Yeah, no. His uncle was known to be a part of a crime family, but why are you afraid of your grandfather? Because, like, I've never been afraid of my grandfathers, because even if they could do something, like, they're old. And, like, that just doesn't make sense. Like, why, why? What was the motive? I don't know. And also, the other thing that's interesting to me is there was evidence that Allison was awake. There mm-hmm. wasn't evidence that Dawn was awake. Mm-hmm. Well, then Why would go. you blame Dawn? It was Dawn! And Dawn's Granted. like, I was asleep! <laughs> Granted, Allison was 13, so, Aww. like, fair. Yeah. But... Uh, with not blaming her but uh, it's like don was they were like no don was asleep and he's like no don did it and they're like, they're like in her in her sleep and he's like ah oh, correct don i mean oh, i'm don. editorializing there but still <laughs> don slept walk <laughs> oh my gosh so then in 1990 he claimed again that don and an unknown assailant who he didn't get a glimpse of before they fled the property Killed his family, and he only killed her because there was a struggle for the gun. How old was Don? 18. It's just... Why? Also, how is there a struggle for the gun, and she's found face down, and there's no evidence she was awake? Yeah, that's just... Okay. Sure. Sure, sure, for sure. Just wild. So then in 92... I'm telling you, this man. He just he, just stop. Just make it stop. Just stop. I mean, if I was in prison, I would I would tell the me. I'd be like, oh, you want to interview me again? Great. You know what? Cool. I'll tell you what you want to hear. I mean, I guess, right? So in 92, he claimed that his lawyer had forced him to pursue an insanity defense and that he had done that his lawyer had done so to get publicity for a book or a film deal that could potentially come down the line. Oh, boy. He said, quote, Weber gave me no choice. He told me I had to do this. He said in a couple of years, I would come into all that money. The whole thing was a con, except for the crime. Oh, my. I mean, it makes sense that, that, I mean, I would believe that the attorney did encourage uh, insanity defense because, I mean, look at what happened. But for the reason, not so much. I believe he probably encouraged the insanity defense. Well, number one, okay, we all know that court-appointed public defenders are really bogged down. Totally. Two, not for nothing, but DeFeo had so many things that it was just like, okay, sir, I don't think you were in your right mind. If you're hearing voices, I don't think you're in your right mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. So... Soon after his conviction, rumors spread that the home was haunted. The Lutz family moved into the home in December 1975, 13 months after the murders took place. They bought the home for $80,000. Oh, my. Now, the article that I read was like a cheap $80,000 or something like that. And I was like, honestly, in the 70s, I don't think 80 k was cheap. No, I don't think so. Like, honestly, like, I don't think I could buy like a murder house. Like, tear the whole thing down and start again. Uh, 
You could. You could. Li- you could live in a murder house. Uh, maybe not. Honestly, I'd have to see how I felt walking through the house. I, I think that's fair. There, a feeling. I, but I, I, I doubt it for me personally. Yeah, I'd probably be turned off. But you know, even still, You're like uh, 80k, maybe. Honestly, 80k in a nice ass location. Like, I'm a yeah, fucking right. teacher, friends. Yeah. I will take it. Like. <laughs> Is that a shack on the beach with no plumbing? Oh, sign me yes, up. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So they bought the house in December 75. In January, on January 14th, 1976, they abruptly left the home, leaving all of their possessions behind, claiming that it was haunted by evil entities. Ooh, don't like it. Don't like it. Don't like it. So George Lutz who was the father claimed to have woken up every day at 3 15 a.m which was the time the murders had happened their daughter spoke to an imaginary entity named jody which some people say was a demon some people say was like you know just a ghost who the fuck knows children are crazy and scary children are frightening children are frightening they see things that we don't see and i don't like it And Kathleen, his wife, claimed to have levitated above her bed and then woke okay, up with lot. welts on her chest. Okay, that's a lot. I'm I'm out of the house. I mean, I'm out of the house, like, if just if I'm waking up at 3.15 every day because that's the time that the murders happened. Like, <laughs> I know something's waking me up. I'm gone. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing, but I've lived in haunted houses before. Uh, this shit doesn't happen. And, okay, I've never Truth. lived, knock on wood, I've never lived in, like, an evil house, but, like, still. Also, that. another interesting thing, how come none of the Lutzes killed each other? Just saying. Mm, good point, good point, good point. Okay, so the Lutzes took a lie detector test about what happened, and they passed it. Which, who had the time to do that, but good for you. Um, however, many speculate it was a hoax. So this is like a huge, I shouldn't say controversy because it's not really controversy, but like there are some people who are gung ho, like, oh, I so believe it. And some people who are like, this is a total fucking hoax. Yeah. So DeFeo's attorney Weber claimed that the three of them came up with this story over a bottle of wine or two. Okay. The family was also in financial trouble at the time and had motivation to sell their story to the media. I mean, is it the worst idea? Like, buy the house for 80K and then make out, like, bandits on a great story. Right. I mean, they really did nothing, like, wrong. Uh, You know, they're like, they defrauded the public. Honestly, they told a fucking story. Okay, fine. Whatever. They passed the lie detector test because they're really fucking good at controlling their emotions. Congratulations. I'm not. Like, right. you know what I mean? It's whatever. It's defrauding the public is a little much. It's okay. The public is defrauded all the time and they love it most of the time because they're like, you know what? A story, something to help me escape my everyday monotonous life, particularly in a pandemic. Don't Let tell me, me have it. Don't tell me defrauded in 2006 when Trump wasn't fucking president. Okay. Yeah. Don't bullshit. shizzle. Faux shizzle. So, um, obviously many speculate it's a hoax. The family also had financial trouble. The Cromarties who lived in the house from 77 to 87 after the Lutzes left, 
Um, one of the people said, quote, nothing weird ever happened except for people coming because of the book and the movie. Because sure. I believe the book came out in 77 and the movie came out in 79. Okay. I mean, so fair enough. People were interested. I'm sure. Um, so several paranormal investigators have left conflicting results. Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are somewhat famous via the Conjuring series, they were, I shouldn't say series, but they're depicted in that Conjuring movie. Yep. They were real paranormal investigators from New England, actually. Yes. Um, they determined the house was haunted by some evil entity. Hmm. Ed stated, quote, this is no ordinary haunted house. On a scale of one to ten, this was a ten. Whoa. No, thank you. Right. So, meanwhile, others like parapsychologist Stephen and Roxanne Kaplan say that this was a complete hoax meant to defraud the public for profit. Hmm. And in an interview with the New York Times, they bring up several discrepancies in the account of the hauntings. Interesting. So, some accounts claim that George was curious about paranormal activity and he had tried to summon spirits. George, that is bad. Put the Ouija board away. <laughs> um, Daniel Lutz, the child of Kathleen and the stepchild of George, claims that his stepfather uh, was abusive and dabbled in Satanism. Hmm. Though his recollections are foggy, he stands by the statements that his parents made all those years ago. Another one of the children, so there were three Lutz children, another one, Christopher, claims that the hauntings did happen, but that they were exaggerated by Lutz. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So take that as you will. Don't know if it's haunted or not. I will say I'm a little skeptical that, like, they only haunted this one person to make him murder. Just saying. <laughs> I, if anything, it's probably haunted by the people who were murdered in the house correct like i wouldn't be surprised about that at all also the whole like native american burial ground <laughs> never showed up in any of my research except for that one paranormal parapsychiatrist who had a phd in ghost stuff said because something you, about it because you know and what horse field these Native American burial grounds, these Native Americans who are buried there, they're like, we have better things to do. Listen, you white people are so flippin' annoying. Like, Agreed. we have better things to do. Like, think about all of the land, literally all of the land, the entire United States that was taken from mm -hmm. the Native Americans and how little you hear about Native American hauntings. Oh, what does that tell you? They have better things to do because they're like, I gotta, I gotta do my thing. I gotta do my ghosty thing and it's not here. You're not worth my time. And I'm like, girl, you're right. We're not. Well, also Amityville is not like it's like, it, it, that house is not like it's like acres and acres. Yeah. You're totally. gonna tell me there were like four people buried here and nowhere else around. So it's just totally. one house over these like however many people and these people are like you know what i'm gonna stir some bullshit in 1974 that's totally. what i'm gonna do that's my year i'm gonna get it yeah unlikely highly unlikely <laughs> so um on march 12 2021 ronald defeo jr died at the albany medical center at 69 years old as of right now no official cause of death has been released hmm oh i didn't know that yep 
and that is the Amityville Murders. Wow, I I'm realizing I really didn't know a lot about those murders, so I'm so glad that you covered this case. That's just all obviously. I know. Horrific. I knew nothing. Like I I always was like, "Oh, I wonder if there's ghosts and shit." Yeah. But then there's so many different stories. It's like, "No way, it's Native Americans. No way, it's demons." That's No way, it's this. You know who that's... never haunts? Crazy fucking white people. <laughs> Probably a crazy fucking white person haunting. <laughs> Probably. Well, thank you for covering that case. I really appreciate that. I also went down the paranormal route because when you search Amityville, you gotta. So I'm going to cover two paranormal haunted spooky places. Ooh. So uh, nine miles from Amityville where the Edgewood State Hospital, a psychiatric hospital, always creepy, once stood. (laughs) One of four mental health Um, excuse me, one of four mental hospitals built in Long Island in the mid-1900s. Edgewood was eventually demolished. People who hike in the area report hearing screams around Edgewood Oak Brush Plains Reservation, preservation, excuse me, and make claims about seeing misty figures and feeling a cold wind blowing through their bodies when they stand. Misty figures? Can yes. we ask them how they get that dewy glow on their foundation? Girl, how do you get that glow? <laughs> Where do you get that glow, though? How come you have no bags under your eyes? I know, seriously. How do I get... I never used to have bags until I had a baby, and now I'm just, like, I'm just carrying so much luggage. It's just, like, oh, my God. At least, you know, maybe it'll be, like, Gucci. I can and... only hope to look this good when they die. I want to be described as Misty. Misty. I'm a Misty figure. The next location is Jane's Hill, Mount Misery, and Sweet Hollow Road. So oh, Jane's that's a Hill. Terrible name. Yes, I agree. So <laughs> not Jane. Miss like was it Misery Hill? Mount Misery. Oh my God! Oh Jesus! No, don't visit Mount Misery, or maybe do. So Jane's Hill is the highest point on Long Island, located in West Hills County Park in Huntington, about nine miles north of Amityville. Walt Whitman was born near this hill and used to climb to the top as a child. His poem, starting from Pominock, was based on Jane's Hill. Some who believe the poet's spirit remains in the area have reported seeing his ghost at the peak of the hill and tell of hearing voice singing songs through the forest. So that one's kind of like kind of a nice one like that one's not like a scary one I, I at least I'm not scared of Walt Whitman I don't think how does everybody know what he looks like like if I came across his ghost I would be like sir are you lost I'd be like excuse me sir man random dude and they're like no it's Walt I'm like who who are you famous are you am I supposed to know you and he's like do you know excuse me do you know who I am are you not cultured at all madame So Mount Misery is located at the crest of Jane's Hill. This area and road leading up to it, uh, Sweet Hollow Road, are said to be the site of strange activity. Supposedly, uh, even Native Americans consider the area cursed. So that's kind of interesting. 
some claim do they consider amityville cursed because that's like the real big thing i i mean i didn't see anything about that so i'm gonna say probably not and i'm gonna say that because they think it's cursed (laughs) i'm gonna say this probably is cursed agreed like i would love to see one of them at the trial like uh, no they're like nah it's not cursed we don't do that bullshit that's white people shit yeah totally like this area is cursed (laughs) not that area So some claim that in the early 1900s, hundreds, a hospital stood on the grounds from which a woman known only as Mary repeatedly fled. Like every other woman from what, the 1800s? Right. Named Just Mary. Fleeting hospital. Fleeting. 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 Fleeing hospitals. Even setting fire to the hospital. Visitors. Visitors seek her grave and claim to hear screams thought by some to be the otherworldly voices of fire victims. Oh, oh sh- okay. I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have said good for you. I thought. Yeah. Like- so I thought Mary was kind of fun until she wasn't fun at all. Oh, I feel bad. I should not have said good for you. Nope. Don't like people dying in fire. Nope. I'm, nope. I'm cool we don't that. like that. Nope, Horrible way good. to go. All good. So those are a couple spooky haunts. Uh, there was like oh my gosh so much paranormal activity from what i could tell in in around amityville but i decided to check out these two places because they uh were a little haunty i enjoyed that thank you thank you well there you go that is amityville for you friends i loved it i think that was so great um like we said at the beginning of the episode there's so many more of you now and we're so excited that you're listening we hope that you're enjoying We'd love your recommendations of where to go next. We just choose these places because we're interested in like exploring cases in these areas or exploring these areas. So send stuff our way or information about like your hometown. We'd love to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we'd love to share this with more people and we'd love to give you more. So something that would help us out just be so tremendous is if you could leave us a five-star review on apple podcast you don't even have to leave a comment just a review it, it helps us so much um and just have them stars for us please star star twinkle twinkle it'll just help <laughs> us you know give you more because that's that's literally all we mm-hmm. all we try and do mm-hmm. well i uh i think that's it for today huh All right, friends. Well, thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Fancy Town Crimes. Our cover art and editing is by me, Taylor Adams. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fancy Town Crimes. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share with us, email us at fancytowncrimespodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to spread the news. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the shenanigans going.